Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. All right. Hey, good morning. Uh, Welcome. Hey, real quick, um, I want to just talk for just a moment to some of our young married people uh, in the family. And so if you've been like married less than seven years, uh, especially the husbands, I want you to dial in uh, on this, uh, you know, Bluffton, our online uh, community, all of that. So what I'm about to tell you is uh, this is an example clearly of what not to do if you'd like to continue being married, uh, you know, happily to your spouse. So Christine and I uh, had been married about four years at this point, and I was the youth pastor at a church. And we had this youth conference that we were getting ready for. It was down in Columbus. And, and I just really wanted our students to have the absolute most meaningful time they could possibly have. So I was like focusing on this thing. I was dialed in. Uh, I was praying. I was preparing. I was getting all of our leaders ready and jazzed and psyched up for this thing. And, and we were all ready to go. And it was a first day of the conference, and it was going just amazingly, right? Couldn't have gone any better than the way that it was going. And so one of, uh, one of my staff members, Mindy, comes up to me, and she says, uh, she asked me, she goes, hey, have you, um, have you talked to Christina lately, or have you, like, seen her? And I was like, uh, yeah, so we, you know, just, like, you know, small talk or whatever, you know, this morning while we're getting, you know, students in their places and all that kind of good stuff. And, uh, and I said, uh, but not, not, like, meaningful conversation. Why do you ask? And Mindy says, um, she's really upset. And I'm like, what? How is she going to be upset? This, like, this conference is going awesome. Kids are like taking really big steps. Like All this great stuff is going on. And I don't forget, Mindy looks me like dead in the eye, and she's like, dude, it's your wife's birthday, and you haven't said one word to her about it, right? Whoops. <laughs> uh, so I'd like to take this moment again to say I'm sorry <laughs> to my wife. <laughs> For that moment, uh, thankfully, uh, my wife Christina is like full of grace and forgiveness. Uh, I think you have to be to be married to me. So uh, she's been an amazing example uh, within that. But I want to say this to, to all the husbands, uh, to all the future and potential husbands, this. Um, if you take away nothing else from this moment, do not forget your wife's birthday on her birthday, okay? Like just, that's a bad idea, okay? Not, not good at all. So, you know, right? Uh, so there. But so what happened, right? I always try to think about like when, when something goes haywire or when something goes really well, I always kind of ask my question, or I always ask this question, right? It's like, why did that happen? Why, why did it go well or why didn't it go so well? And so when I think about that scenario and I say, why didn't that go so, like, why was that a disaster? What happened that I forgot my wife's birthday and I was focused in on this other thing? And when I reflect back on that moment, here's what I, I kind of come to the conclusion on. In that moment, in other moments similar to that, I got things out of order, Okay? Here's what I mean by that. I placed the priority of a conference for teenagers that I was in charge of helping them to take steps of growth. I placed the priority of that conference over and above the priority of giving care and attention to my wife 
on her special day, okay? I flipped the priority on those two things, and they were out of order, all right? And what typically happens is when we get things out of order, it gets haywire, right? It gets a little messy. Sometimes even like, right, like bad things can happen. Uh, I don't know if some of you guys have ever, uh, men or women, do me a favor. How many of you like are brave enough to mess with electricity in your house? Raise, raise your hand. Like, yeah, some are going, yes, <laughs> uh, right? So here's the thing. If you turn the power on before you wire the outlet correctly, <laughs> Bad things happen, <laughs> all right? Uh, it's, it's not good. Um, when we're working on this with uh, our youngest daughter. When you cross the street before you look both ways, right? Bad things happen. If, if you eat the chicken before you properly cook it, bad things happen, right? All things you can learn from experience. But you don't have to, right? Uh, listen, here's, here's the thing. When things get out of order, it gets messy. And, and even like really challenging things can begin to take place. And when things get out of order in our lives, and specifically spiritually, stuff gets haywire. It gets crazy. And, and there's even really... Uh, I'm just quite frankly, to use that language, there's, there's bad things that happen, right? Like, and it ranges all the way from broken relationships here among people all the way to eternal separation from the Father, right? When, our, when things in our, in our lives are that out of order, right, things start to go haywire. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to talk a little bit about order, and, and let's see what the scriptures have to say about wh- like what is the best order, so to say, uh, for our lives. And so if this, uh, while we're going to Colossians chapter 1, uh, if you want to go there, that's in the New Testament. You can open up in your Bible or click over on your device. While you're going to Colossians chapter 1, uh, if this is your first time with us, either online or at one of our locations, I want to say welcome. Really glad you're here. Uh, you're here right at the front end of a new series we're launching called King Forever, and we're walking through this letter written to the Colossians. And so what's going to happen is over the next few weeks, as we study through this New Testament letter, um, we are going to discover like what, all the joy, the the possibility, what it means to follow Jesus as King forever, what that looks like in our own personal lives um, and and experience God's great grace within all of that. So uh, I'm going to read from Colossians chapter one. I'm going to start in verse 15. Uh, And I'm going to read from the English Standard Version, but you can follow along with uh, whatever you have with you. This is what uh, it says. This is talking about Jesus, by the way. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him. And for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now, I want to kind of walk through this passage for a moment because this section of Scripture 
is probably one of the most clearest descriptions of who Jesus is from what we would call, there's a, uh, right, there's kind of the $10 word, the Christological view, right? And so this is really describing who Jesus is. There's so much rich truth here about who Jesus is. You could easily read this passage every day for a month and study it and think about it, and you wouldn't break the surface on it, right? Like there is just so much truth, so much uh, is being revealed about who Jesus is. So I just want to take a moment and I want to walk through very quickly about what Paul is saying about Jesus here to these Colossians. So here's the first thing that Paul jumps right out of the gate. In verse 15, he says this. He says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now when Paul says that, When he says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, I'm just going to give you the straightforward, here's what Paul is meaning when he says that. He's saying there is literally no better way to see God, there is no better way to know God than through the person of Jesus Christ. Like he is the epitome. He is what God looks like. And we're not necessarily talking about his physical characteristics, right? But instead, Jesus Christ is the character of God, the person of God perfectly revealed. That's what Paul is saying here. That if you want to see God, you look to Jesus and, and when you look at other passages, you, think, you see things like God is spirit, right? That's in John chapter 4. Jesus says that. And so it's really hard to see spirit, right? We, we don't have that capacity to see spirit. And, but Jesus is God in the, yes. Matthew refers to him as Emmanuel, which means, anybody know what Emmanuel means? God with us. And so Jesus is God in the flesh. He's Emmanuel, God with us. And so if you want to see God, if you want to know God, look to Jesus. Here's just the practical side of that. This is what makes the gospel so powerful and actually so critical to knowing the person of Jesus. When I say the gospels, I'm talking about the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Right, and these are these are so critical to every person who wants to know who wants to know God, because Jesus is the exact representation of who God is, because Jesus is God. Right. In fact, in John chapter fourteen, Jesus makes a very clear point. He's talking with his disciples, and he says this: "If you've seen me, then you've seen the Father." That's what he says. If you've seen me, right? Because Philip, one of his disciples, right? He's like, well, yeah, hey, listen, Jesus shows the Father, and that'll be enough for us. And he's like, you know, if, he says, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? I'm the image. I, I am. I am the image. I'm God in the flesh. I am Emmanuel, right? And so here's the thing, if you're, if you're here this morning, you're like investigating about God, you're wondering like, man, what is this all about? What does it mean to know him? What does it mean to follow him? All of those things. If you're really serious about discovering who God is, you got to look to Jesus. That's your starting place. You've got to start with the person of Jesus. By the way, uh, some of you might be thinking, you're like, huh, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And you, some of you, you know Genesis or you've been exposed to something, you're going, wait a second, aren't we created in the image of God? So, so, you know, wait a second. What's, well, here's, yeah, here's the catch, right? We're created in the image of God. Look what Colossians says. Jesus is. 
Jesus is the image of God. And so what that means is we're similar to God. We have some of his characteristics. We carry some of his capacities, but Jesus is. <laughs> Do you, you, see, you see the difference of what Paul is saying here? Jesus is God. And so if you want to see God, you, you look to Jesus. That's the first thing that Paul's exposing here. Here's the second thing that Paul's saying that's really clear, right? We're not even getting out of verse 15 yet. But the second thing he says is, is Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. All right? Now, there, there can be some misunderstanding if, if you're not careful in how you read and understand this passage. Actually, some have interpreted this section of Scripture to mean that Jesus is a creation of God. All right? Because, hey, look, it says right here, it's the firstborn of creation. And so Jesus must be a creation of God. And if Jesus is a creation of God, then he's a little less than God. He's not really quite God, right? He's not fully God. He's actually the first created thing. But if that's what you take away from this, this passage in this section, there's a misunderstanding of what Paul actually means by firstborn in this passage. Now, for us, I think for a lot of us, we go firstborn. Well, that means well, then you're the first one who was born in a series of children in a family, right? That's how we tend to think. So my uh, son Jackson is the firstborn in my family because he's the first one who came his way out, you know? Like, so he's the, he's the firstborn in my family, right? But there's, there's another understanding to this idea of firstborn in, in the Bible, right? So in Exodus chapter 4, uh, God refers to the nation of Israel as his firstborn, okay? Uh, in Psalm 89, I believe, God refers to David, right? King David as his firstborn, okay? So when you realize, you go, well, wait a second, Israel wasn't actually the first nation to ever exist. And, and David wasn't the first king uh, in Israel, and he definitely wasn't the first king ever. So how is God using this term, this idea of firstborn, um, if we're not necessarily talking about the physical, act, you know, first one? Well, what does it mean to be firstborn then, especially in this instance? Because it's not that Jesus is created. It's not that he's a creation of God or he's less than God, because uh, we've already exposed some of that in that first section. But rather to be firstborn, right? For Israel to be God's firstborn, for David to be uh, God's firstborn, for Jesus to be the firstborn of all creation, more so carries the meaning of supremacy, right? To be the firstborn, right, carries the meaning of it, it means to be supreme. It means to have this special place in the Father's love. It means to have this place of leadership over the family, right? And so when Paul writes that Christ is the firstborn of all creation, and another way that can be translated is firstborn over all creation, actually what Paul is doing is he's painting this picture using words, saying this, hey, you know how the firstborn like represents the vigor of the father and the strength of the father? Hey, you, you know how the firstborn, like when you look in the scriptures, is dedicated to God from their very beginning, right? Uh, do, do you know, uh, like with the firstborn, how they're the leader over the family? And Paul is saying, that's, that's what Jesus is like. Jesus, he's, he's the first, he's supreme, he's over all, he carries, right? He's got the heart of the father. Uh, he's, he's in the place of leadership, right? All of these things are true about Jesus. He's supreme. He's first. He's leader. He's saying Jesus is 
king. When he's referring to Jesus being firstborn, it's not that he's, he's the first thing created. Jesus is the creator. Because when you look at the passages right after that, Paul like begins to explain. He's saying he's the firstborn of all creation, but then he goes on to say things like this. Well, actually, for by him all things were created through him and for him. And right, he says, listen, Jesus is the one who created everything. He literally uses the word all things. And then he goes, hmm, all things might not be clear enough for people who are reading this later. So uh, let's detail this out. So everything in heaven, uh, everything in earth, right? Uh, Everything that's visible, everything that's invisible uh, is everything that Jesus created. Um, So uh, I think if we're talking about all things in heaven, in earth, things you can see, things you can't see, that pretty well covers all things, right? So Paul's like being really, really clear. Jesus, he's not some created being. He's the creator. And then Paul lists all different types of authorities and powers. And he's saying all of these things created by him and they're created for him, right? Now here's the question. I think the Colossians would have been semi-familiar with this. I think, I think Lighthouse and Bluffton would be semi-familiar with this as well. If you've read or been familiar with Genesis chapter 1, what does Genesis chapter 1 say about who created everything from the beginning? Who, who is the one who created everything from the beginning according to Genesis 1? Yeah, well, yeah no, not a trick question, I promise you. Right? <laughs> You're going, oh, he's going to get us somehow. No, no, it's, it's, it's God, right? Right, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God, right? And then goes on to detail how God created everything. And what Paul is doing here is he's saying, yeah, Jesus, everything was created through Jesus, by Jesus, for Jesus. What's Paul saying about who Jesus is? He's God. He's God, right? This is what he's saying. He's giving really clear distinctions that Jesus, yeah, he's not some created being. He's not just a guy. He's God in every sense of the word. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. Everything was created for, through, by Jesus Christ. And so what Paul is saying is that Jesus is the same God of the Bible Right, who is in verse 17, before all things. He's the eternal and infinite God. Jesus is the same God who holds all things together. Literally, that word hold means causes things to stand firm. And so, like, Jesus keeps our universe from, like, exploding into atomic chaos, right? Like, he's the one who keeps things bound. Even if you take a purely humanistic, scientific approach to our world, that view affirms that on its own, from observations of the universe, left alone with nothing else, things tend toward disorder, and toward chaos, and not towards order, right? So when you look at that, and you, so we go, why not complete disorder? Why is not everything in overwhelming chaos and craziness? This answers it. It's Jesus. Jesus is the reason everything is not in ultimate disorder and chaos, because he's holding it together. Everything stands firm because of him, right? Because he's God, 
And then Paul goes on to say, hey, with this authority, right? Not only did he create everything in heaven and earth, visible, invisible, all the powers fall underneath him. So he's the authority. He's the leader specifically, too, over the church. He's the first one resurrected from among the dead, which leads the way for every other person to experience resurrection from the dead through Jesus Christ, right? And then he says Jesus is preeminent. Now again, preeminent, maybe this is not a word you're super familiar with, but this word preeminent, again, it carries the same idea of this firstborn. Preeminent literally means to be supreme. It means, uh, another way to say supreme is to be first. First place. First overall. First above all. Right? All of the time. And so what Paul is exposing is that Jesus is first over creation. He's first to fully live in obedience to God the Father. He's first in the church, right? He's first in heaven. He's first in earth. He's first in all things visible. He's first in all things invisible, right? Paul is making this point that Jesus Christ is first in absolutely everything. And the fullness of God the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in the person of Jesus Christ. I want you to think about that. It's not the almostness of God. It's not the someness of God. It's not even the 99.9ness of God. It's the fullness. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in the person of Christ. What is what is Paul saying here? He's saying Jesus is He's saying Jesus is God. He's he's not a guy. He's not just a really good teacher. He's not a revolutionary. He's not somebody who's ahead of his time. He's a really great humanitarian and cares about people. All those things are true. But you can't limit him to that. Because he's God. He is God. Do you you see what Paul is doing here in these passages? Here's what Paul is doing. He's, He's essentially holding up the person of Christ. And he's just looking at him from all of these different angles, right? Oh, he's the image of the, oh, he's the firstborn. Oh, he's the one through whom all and for all. Oh, all of the power, the invisible, the visible, the heaven, right? It's like, look, he's like, oh, look right here. He's the head of the church, right? It's like all of this stuff. He's like looking at all these angles and he's like, oh, this is amazing. Can't you see what's happening here? And so Paul is making the overwhelming case that Jesus is God. He's not like God. It's, he's not saying that he's from God. He's not saying he's the first thing that God created. It's not that Jesus became God at some time in the process. Paul is saying without any mistake or backing off the gas pedal in any way whatsoever that Jesus Christ is God. And that matters deeply. Since Jesus is God, part of what that means is this, is that Jesus is first. He's first. Before anyone, before anything, right? He's 
first, the, the most first you could ever be, that's Jesus. The most first that God is, that's Jesus. Okay, here's, here's what I want you to do. Uh, look, at, look at the person next to you real quick and just look at them and say this. Say, Jesus is first. Okay, all right, yeah. I, all, all roll cases do have left in. Jesus is first. You're online. Type, just type in the chat. Type in Jesus is first. Okay, good, good. Hey, here's, here's the reason why Jesus is first. Here's part of the reason Jesus is first. S- simply by the, fa- by the fact that this, he's God, right? Since he's God, he's first. God is first. And Jesus is God, which means Jesus is first, okay? So he's first. He's, he's preeminent. He's supreme. He's firstborn. He's overall, right? Everything is made through him, for him, by him. He holds and sustains everything together. And so Jesus is God, and that makes him first, first over everything, first before everything. He's first. He's supreme. He's high, highest priority. He's preeminent. He's overall. He's king forever, And I want you to look for just a moment in verse 20. Look at what the king did. I want to do this. All locations here in the house, Bluffton, online. Let's read this passage uh, out loud together, starting with, and through him. Are you ready? Go. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Okay. I want you to catch this, because what Paul has been doing this whole section before verse 20 is he's making the case that Jesus is first, he's supreme, he's God in every essence, right? He's not kind of like, he's not similar to, he's not from, he is, he's God. So he's been building this case and making it clear, looking at all the angles, Jesus is God. And I want you to catch the weight of verse 20 on the back end of verses 15 through 19. Because once you do, you begin to feel the weight of what Paul is talking about. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, the image of the invisible God died for your sin. The firstborn over all of creation suffered for your self-leadership. The creator of all things in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, was humiliated on your behalf. The one who holds all things together was beaten so that you didn't have to be. The preeminent one became a servant of all so that you could live. God died in your place. This is what Paul is saying. This is what he's exposing. Do you you know, like, do you see what Jesus actually accomplished through his perfect life and his perfect death and resurrection? Here's what he did. Some of you guys might not realize this. You know what Jesus did through his death and resurrection? He actually fulfilled the covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. Did you know that? That's part of what happens 
through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus fulfilled the covenant between God and Abraham in Genesis 15. In Genesis 15, uh, just to, if you're, maybe you're not familiar with it, in Genesis chapter 15, right, God makes a covenant with Abraham. And because what he does, he says, Abraham, I want you to trust me. Right? All the promises I've made to you, right? the promises that, um, that I'm going to turn you into a great nation, I'm going to use you, and then the whole world, right? all of the nations are going to be blessed through you. I want you to trust me, no matter what, that I'm going to keep my promise. Okay, That's what happens in Genesis 15. And so God says, I want to make a covenant with you. And, and to confirm this covenant, what you did, right? and this time you didn't like sign on a piece of paper, you didn't like, you know, and then, you know, do it. you don't do that with God, right? Uh, so that's not how you made a covenant in that time. No, the way you made a covenant to this degree in Abraham's time is this. You get five animals, right? You get a cow. Uh, you, let's see, what else? You get? Oh, you get a goat. You get a ram. Uh, you get a turtle dove. You get a partridge. And, no, uh, um, you get a um, tutor, yeah, uh, and a pigeon, all right? So it's like a barbecue. Um, no, but so you get, you get these five animals, and what you do is you cut them in half, so you're going, wow, uh, that's quite the, that'd be quite the way to sign a lease on your car, right? Like, uh, okay. um, but yeah, so you get these five animals, and you cut them in half, and then what you do is you separate the halves, so, and you create this walking path in between the halves. And so you've got these halves of animals on both sides, and then you've got this pathway in between, and it's not pleasant, right? Okay, it's, it's just not good. And so that's, this is how you start the covenant, now, normally, when two people enter into this covenant, this, this agreement, right, you split them in half, and then they each walk through the pathway in between the halves of the animals, okay? Well, the first party does it, and then the second party does it. And what they're saying is this, if, if I don't hold up my end of the agreement in our covenant, if I don't do what I say I'm going to do, then you can do to me what we've done to these animals, right? You can tear me to pieces. That's, that's what you're saying when you walk through these halves. If I don't fulfill my end of the bargain, you can do to me what we've done to these animals, which is to tear them into pieces. Now, it's very important. Both parties do this. Now, when you look in Genesis chapter 15, and God says, I want you to trust me, I want you to always trust me, to always lean in on me, right? Don't turn away, don't turn left, don't turn right, don't trust in other gods. I want the whole nation of it, right? I want the whole, everybody, to trust me from here on out, and, and, and trust me, I'm going to keep my promises, okay? My end of the bargain, I'm keeping my promises. Your end of the bargain, you're trusting me. You're always keeping your faith in me. That's, that's the covenant here. And so in a typical covenant, both parties walk through. But when you read Genesis 15... Only one person walks through. Do you know who walks through? God does. God. God is the only one who, actually, he won't even allow Abraham to walk through. God is the only one who passes through the halves of the animals, right? Here's what God is saying. I will hold up both sides of the agreement because I know you can't 
There's no scenario where you can. And so guess what's going to happen? I'm going to keep my promises, and I'm going to make sure that you remain faithful even when you don't, right? And I'm going to bear the punishment if you don't, okay? So what God is saying to Abraham is if I don't hold my end of the bargain, you can tear me to pieces. And if you don't hold up your end of the bargain, you can tear me to pieces. The way we've torn these animals to pieces. Okay? This is what he's saying. I want to jump back to Colossians. Because when Paul says that Jesus reconciled all things to himself, making peace by his blood on the cross, do you see? Do you see that Jesus was torn apart piece by piece, essentially, to make peace? This this is what happens. Do Do you see why Paul is making such the clear case that Jesus is God? He's God in every sense of the word. And he's he's making this, that God through Christ has kept true to the covenant. He held firm. He kept both sides. He kept his promise. He fulfilled the covenant. Think about this. Seriously, think about this. The image of the invisible God, the firstborn, the creator, the head of the church, God himself died so that you and I could live. Because there's no scenario where we keep the covenant on our own. And God knew that. And so he fulfills both sides. So when you think about it, when I think about that, I don't know where you're at, I just, man, my brain starts to go like, man, what do I do now? Like, what's my response in light of that? How do, how do I respond to what's happening here? And I just can't think of any other rightful response than simply this, to give Jesus a place that he rightfully deserves. And what place is that? First. So he said it. Yeah, First first place like what other response do i have than that jesus would be first in my life and so the natural question goes well how do i make jesus first in my life how do i make christ first in my life now now here's the thing some of you guys as soon as i asked that question you started developing plans in your mind right you go oh how do i make jesus first in my life and so immediately you're like, well, uh, he's, he's going to be first in my schedule, right? And so like, you know, the first 15 minutes before I even get out of bed, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure, you know, I, I'm, that's the like first 15 minutes I'm going to do. Uh, you know, I'm going to make Jesus first in my relationships. And I'm not talking to anybody before I talk to Jesus. So I'm going to make sure that he's, I'm going to make him first in my finances, every dollar. You know, the first, this, it's going to him and I'm going to make sure it happens. Uh, I'm going to, oh, you know what? He's going to be the first one I fight for. So I'm going to make sure I boycott. I'm going to make sure I legislate. I'm going to, you know, it's all going to be for Jesus. I'm going to make sure I defend Jesus, right? Some of you went there. <laughs> and listen, listen. Here's what I want to tell you. There's, there's nothing wrong with those things, okay? But, but if you go into what you're going to do to make Jesus Christ first in your life, if you go there first, you've already done the opposite of what it means to make Christ first in your life. Do you see that? 
Like if you, if you start figuring out, here's all the things I'm going to do to make sure that I make Jesus first in my life so that everybody knows. And what ends up happening is this. You, you, make, you end up making these rules first, and, and they're for you. And then over time, your rules aren't enough for just you anymore, and you don't really live up to them anyways, right? Let's just be straight up about that. Right? I had like lots of chocolate this weekend, so like you know, you're like, oh, I'm going to cut out the sweets. I'm like, blah, 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 blah. you know, so like you don't even live up to your own rules. And so what happens is your rules won't be enough for you, for just you. And what you start to do is you place your rules on everybody else. And you start judging people based on the rules that you've created for yourself that aren't really enough for you and you don't live up to them, but you expect everybody else to follow them. And then you get really angry when they don't do, you know, what you think they should do. I want to go back to the focus of the passage of what Paul does here. What's, what's Paul doing in these passages? Right? It goes, what we're talking, he's just looking. He's just, he's, you know what he's doing? He's adoring Christ. He's looking at Christ. He's, focused, he's like, oh man, do you see? Oh, look at this. Look at, you, know what, you know what he's doing? Paul is, Paul's meditating on Christ. He's meditating on the person of Christ. Specifically in these passages, he's meditating on Christ's firstness. He's meditating on his supremacy. He's meditating on his preeminence. Right? He's meditating on the fact that Christ is above all and comes before all. And in doing so, not only is Paul putting that in front of people, but he's also inviting these Colossians... To see that Christ alone is king forever. He's over everything, including their lives. Including our lives. Your life. And my life. And so what Paul is doing is he's inviting us to make Christ first in our hearts. You know what he's, here's, here's what he's doing. He's saying, hey, um, Get off the throne of your life. You don't deserve to sit there anyways. And make room for Christ. Let him sit. Because he's the king. He's the first. And so, so the question goes back, well, then how do I do it? How do I make Christ first in my life? Here it is, right? Paul's already exposed it. It's this. It's simply this. It's realizing that Christ already is first. You don't make him first, he is. He just is by nature of who he is. As God, as king, right? As firstborn over all of creation, as the preeminent one. He's already in first place. It's realizing that. And then the second piece is this. Realizing that I'm not. See, it's, it's two sides of the same coin. I realize that he's first and I realize that I'm not. Do you recognize that as a central battle that every single one of us deal with? Yeah, it manifests itself in lots of different little vices and situations and ways we hurt ourselves and other people, but you know what the core of it is? Me thinking I'm first. Realizing, not realizing that Christ is. And so what happens is I realize that Christ is first and I realize that I'm not first. And so what happens is this, is that as I'm bowing down to worship Christ at the exact same time I'm taking off my paper crown 
and I'm placing it down at the foot of the feet of Jesus, and I'm saying, you are first, and I am not, and anything I've built up for myself is a facade, and it's fake. You're the only legitimate king in authority ever. And until you do that, you have what Augustine, who's this fourth, right, fourth century AD, follower of Jesus, calls disordered loves. Until you do that, you have disordered loves. See, sin doesn't come from a lack of love. A lot of people think that. They're like, oh, it's because you don't have enough love in your heart. No, it's, that's not the issue. Sin doesn't come from a lack of love. Sin comes, or, comes from the fact that our loves are out of order. They're out of order. And so sin is loving less important things more and more important things less. And so our sin, our death, our unhappiness all comes from our loves being out of order, loving ourselves more than we love Christ. And, and don't get me wrong, right? Because some of you may be like doing a really hard snapback reaction, right? It's not wrong to love your work. Let me say that really clearly. Because some of you go, I'm, I'm, I'm going to quit my job and I'm just going to, you know, well, listen, that's not what we're saying. <laughs> well, I don't know, maybe you should, but I'm, just, I'm not telling you that's what you should do, all right? It's not wrong to love your work. When you love your work more and before you love Christ, you have disordered loves. It's not wrong to love your children. But when you love your children more and before Christ, you have disordered loves. When you love yourself more than you love Christ, you have disordered love. And when love is out of order, things get haywire. Your work begins to splinter your family. You exploit your children for a sense of fulfillment and purpose. You put youth conferences over your wife's birthday. And so what I see Paul doing here is exposing the way to reorder our loves and put Christ in the position of first place over our lives. And it's through repentance and it's through meditating on the person of Christ. And so here's what I invite you to do. I want to invite everybody. All of our locations is simply this. I want to invite you to take a next step. Inside your bulletin is this yellow meditation guide. It's called the Christ is First Meditation Guide. Um, you can pick it up. If you don't have one, you can pick it up at the Connection Center uh, there at Bluffton. If you're online, uh, you can get it through your connection card. Complete that, click the link, and we'll get that to you. But the, medica- the meditation guide actually has seven Bible passages that focus on Christ's firstness. And so here's what I want all of us to do. I want to invite all of us to spend the next seven days, starting today, right? Starting today, meditating on the firstness of Christ, okay? Now, again, Bible meditation, it's, it's not emptying your mind. Bible meditation is filling your mind. It's filling your mind with truth, with scripture, with right thoughts about God. So as you begin meditating today, right, this afternoon, I want you to do this. I want you to read the passage, when you get done reading it, I want you to read it again. After you get done reading it a second time, we're going to shift a little bit. I want you to read it again. 
<laughs> then I want you to think deeply about what is this saying about God. Just focus in on this. Nothing else, right? Phone away, TV off, right? Like, you know, all that stuff. And just think, just think and focus deeply about God, his character. Think about truth. And as truths about God become clear through this passage, I want you to ask this question. Things like this, right? Like this this passage, what does it mean for me in my life that all things were made by and for Jesus? That's a question I would ask as I meditate on this first passage. What does that mean for me? If all things are made by him and all things are made for him, what does that mean about me? What does that mean for me? Right? Work through that. Ask the passage, uh, what is this teaching me? And then I would encourage you, use that truth to shape your prayer. Celebrate, right, this passage. Celebrate the fact that Jesus is the firstborn over all of creation and everything that means. Confess the ways that you place yourself in the first seat instead of him. Intercede on behalf of other people, right? using the truth of this passage. And so meditation, here's what meditation is. You know what the real battle is? It's resisting busyness. This is, but this is a supernatural act and you're gonna face battles. <laughs> things are gonna pop up, things are gonna distract you and you're gonna, oh yeah, I, could do, I should do that right now. I should make sure we have enough ice cream for next Thursday, right? Like that thought's gonna come into your mind. You go, I think I'm gonna go do that right now, right? Battle against that. Battle against busyness. So meditation instead, it's focusing, it's thinking deeply on truth, it's thinking deeply on the person of God, and this guy's going to help you this week. So I really hope you'll take that next step. That next step. I hope you'll let us know. I want to pray for you this week. I want to pray for the people who are taking the step of meditating. Because here's the thing, right? Christ is first. This is what Paul's saying. Christ is first. Christ is king. And when your loves are disordered, things go haywire. You miss out on what it really means to be alive. Real life. Legitimate life. And when you look at the Gospels, right, we're closing here. When you look at the Gospels, you see that Jesus' love was ordered rightly. His love was ordered rightly. You see it in the Gospels, no problem. I meet with a couple of guys uh, for just studying Scripture and praying together, and we've been reading through the Gospel of Matthew, and we've just simply been asking this one question of every chapter we read, and it's this. What does this teach me about who Jesus is? No other questions, like resist the moral of the story. Resist the what you're going to, like just what does this say about Jesus? And so we're reading Matthew chapter 26, and if you're not familiar with it really quick, this is the part where Jesus gets arrested, and in response, one of Jesus' disciples, like goes into samurai mode, pulls out this sword, and is like, I'm going to kill you. And he misses and slices the guy's ear off, right? This is, this is how not good uh, these disciples were at fighting. And, and so, right, <laughs> so Jesus heals the guy, and then he like stops this disciple. He's, right, Jesus like looks him straight in the eye. He's like, stop it. And he says, don't you realize that I can ask my father to send 70,000 angels to fight for me and they're not just taking ears off, right? You, see, you, you, think, you don't think God would send that to protect for me? But then he says this, if I did that, if I did that, how would the father's will be completed? Jesus' loves were ordered rightly. 
He loved the Father more than anything, which led him to walk in and trust the Father's will all the way to the cross, which led to peace between us and God. Do you see that? Yes, Jesus loves you. There's no doubt about it. Do you know who Jesus loves first? Do you know who Jesus loves most? The Father. The Father. And the Father directs him to love us. You want to be more loving? Love the Father. Love Jesus. Follow Jesus. Lean in on Jesus, right? It's only through genuine faith in Christ that your loves can be rightly ordered. It's only through genuine faith in Christ that you can experience genuine peace. It's only through genuine faith in Christ you can experience real, real life. I'd like you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to ask this simple question, Jesus, what are you saying to me right now? I just want you to listen for a moment. You know, here at Lighthouse, we absolutely love to pray for people. It's one of the greatest joys we have here. And so what we're going to do is we're going to sing one more song. And during that song, we are going to have prayer leaders who are available to you at every corner of the room. I'm going to ask them to start making their way there now. And and you can receive prayer about any area of your life, right? You don't have to be a member to receive prayer. Um, you know, uh, don't be embarrassed to want to have prayer. Every one of us, we need prayer. And so as we sing this song, I want to invite you to come forward and receive prayer about any area of your life. Um, and we'll continue worshiping the King. So let me pray for you. And then I want to invite you to pray as well. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw every single person who needs prayer right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 9.09 or 11.11. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.